Hey, I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our look at Jeremiah. So to get us caught up to where we are now, this is the third sermon. The first sermon was Jeremiah chapter 1, where we see Jeremiah as this called prophet. He is called out from among um, Israel, from among Judah, to be a prophet to Judah and to the nations. And then in chapters 2 to 6, we see that Jeremiah is... Um, he is told by God everything that is wrong with Israel. And so I thought, you know, how do I show this? Or how do I start out this sermon looking at Jeremiah chapter 7? So what I thought we'd, I'd do is try to tell maybe a story, right? So last week I'm sitting in church and Paul's doing the message. Jonah's beside me. He's, he's running the slides. And he looks up at me and goes, Uncle Robert, can the Bible ever become an idol? I thought, what a great question. What an interesting and awesome question. Can the Bible ever become an idol? Now, what would that look like? What would that look like? Well, I think if the Bible, if the words of the Bible ever became more important than the God who is revealed by the words, then the Bible might become an idol in somebody's life. So I, that's why I told Jonah that if the Bible becomes more important than God, then yeah, it can be an idol. So today, what we see is that Jeremiah, he is at the temple gates. He is standing there at the gates of the temple, and he's going to preach a sermon about the temple and what will happen to it. So what I want to do, I want to take a moment, and I want to read Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord. All you people of Judah, you who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. Let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open up this word to us that we might hear it, receive it, would we might learn about you from it. So Lord, would you just come and join us wherever we may be so that you might be glorified here. So I ask this in your name. Amen. So Jeremiah, he is at the temple gates, and he begins his sermon with this great, like, attention grabber. Like, a lot of sermons, they tell you to have a good attention grabber to get your, get your audience, get the, get the people's attention. So Jeremiah, he's standing at the, at the gates of the temple where he would, where he would, um, where all the people would be coming in and out of the temple daily. And he begins his sermon by saying, amend your ways and doings. Change what you're doing. Don't trust the deceptive word. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And the question is, the attention grabber is, what do you mean this is deceptive? How is saying this is the temple of the Lord deceptive? Is it not the temple? Is this not where God's dwelling place was? And yet, we see that Jeremiah has written, amend your ways so that I may dwell with you in place, in this place. And so this temple, which is supposed to be where God dwells, it's not. And so the deceptive word, this is the temple of the Lord, well, it may be the physical place, but he's not here. He's not here. He's somewhere else. And so here's the, the lie. Um, the temple of the Lord is a lie. It ignores God who calls them to dwell with him for a lie that says they already are. 
And like a lie, it must be repeated again and again to be believed. That's why there's this repetition, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And so this lie, let me dwell. So this, this, this lie, it's being, it's drowning out God's voice. God's calling, let me dwell with you, is drowned out by the lie, God is already here. And so the people believe the lie and they find comfort in it. And God's challenge to them is that this lie must die. The people will enter into grief because that's what happens when something dies. You grieve it. So Jonah, he asked me the question, can the Bible be an idol? And Jeremiah asked back, can the temple be an idol? And idolatry is what happens when we take what God meant for good and we put it before him. We make it more important than he is. And the people have made God's temple more important than God. They trust in the temple for their protection while God says, he's not there. And God says, change, change and I'll dwell with you here. And we should ask, change what? What are we supposed to change? Let's read on Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 5 to 11. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? I too am watching, says the Lord." So there is one way above almost every other way that nations are judged in the Old Testament. Nations are judged in the Old Testament for how they treat immigrants, orphans, and widows, or the poor. Let me show this briefly. Exodus 22, verse 21 to 24 says, Don't wrong the foreigner. Don't wrong the foreigner. And don't abuse a widow or orphan. Or... And if, if, you, if you abuse a widow or an orphan, I will kill you with the sword. I will make your kids orphans, and I will make your wives widows. If you read Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1 verses 1 to 18 tells about how religious the people were, how they were bringing all the correct offerings, and yet they failed to care for the poor. And so God was angry with them. In Micah chapter 6, that famous verse, verse 8, He has told you, O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly with the Lord your God? Verses 6 and 7, the two verses before that, talk about how the people say, or Micah says, Have I not brought, what do I bring to you, Lord? A thousand fatted calves, a river of oil? Should I bring the firstborn, my firstborn son? The, the, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? No, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And so what we see here from all these verses, and there's a bunch more that we could list off, that the care of immigrants, orphans, and widows is vitally important to God. And Jeremiah, he's not here to heap scorn and anger 
on the people. Instead, he articulates what they try to deny, and he articulates it as criticism and grief. If we flip one page back to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13 to 15, it says, For from the least to the greatest of them, this is talking about Judah and Israel, this is God speaking to Jeremiah about who Israel is, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They acted shamefully. They committed abomination. Yet they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. So here, this is the dominant cultural narrative of the people of Israel. The leaders of Judah have created a system that keeps people satisfied but numb to the hurt around them. The kings since the time of David have believed that God has written them a blank check. They can do what they want. They have divine authority. And the prophets and priests, they keep this system alive. They perpetuate it by saying, everything is fine. Peace, peace. We know that there is no peace. They treat the wound of the people carelessly. God's going to go on to say in chapter 7, verse 11, that they're making his house, it's called by his name, a den of robbers. So we see the people of Judah are satiated. They are so satiated in this culture that they are numb to the people around them. God is telling them that their time in Israel is iffy. It is iffy. See this, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 5 to 7. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after the other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. So Judah is on iffy ground. And God is telling them through Jeremiah, if you want, like you've believed this lie, you've believed the lie that I'm here with you, protecting you. If you want that to be true, it can be, but you have to follow this ancient way. You have to follow and walk in this ancient path. Our theme verse for Jeremiah is Jeremiah 6.16. It says, and the Lord said, stand at the crossroads and look, seek the ancient path the good way and walk in it find rest for your souls and the people say no i will not walk in it and jeremiah he does not offer scorn or anger he articulates what the people try to deny they try to deny that they're that things are not good they try to believe that there is peace peace when there is no peace that this is the temple of god he tries, he articulates what they try to deny, and he does so in criticism and grief. And criticism begins in the capacity to grieve. See, these people have forgotten how to even blush. Grief is the most visceral announcement that things are not right in the world. And these people, they are so accustomed to evil, they've gotten so used to it, that they have forgotten how to blush. I'm not talking about just Judah here. 
nations are judged for their treatment of immigrants. As a kid growing up in Marshalltown, I remember good Christians telling me that my friends and their parents needed to learn English if they wanted to live here. And we don't need to look that far back to find horrific treatment of immigrants in our own nation. Under the last presidential administration, children were separated from their parents at the border. And we sat through that crisis with unblemished cheeks that should have turned rosy red. And it's easy. It's easy to believe the false narratives about immigrants in the poor today. Aren't they all just smuggling fentanyl into the country? And Judah believes a lie. Judah believes this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And like all good lies, there's a bit of truth in it. Today, the church believes a lie about how Christians, the temple of the Lord, should treat immigrants and the poor. And when you believe, when you believe a lie and you live in it long enough, you become numb to the hurt around you that lie causes. Because when we believe these things about immigrants, it's easy to ignore their suffering. When you believe that this is the temple of the Lord, it's easy to miss and ignore that all these people are out offering sacrifices to other gods. And if you believe the lie that he's already here, then offering these sacrifices, it must be okay. So that's what happens, right? Like if you stay and you live in a lie long enough, you lose your ability to blush. You lose your ability to be embarrassed about these things. And sometimes the proper response is embarrassment. And once you've become aware that you've lost the ability to blush, once you become aware that you're no longer embarrassed, what can you do? What can you do? The only way to get back to that is to enter into grief. The message of Jeremiah is one of embrace the anguish, embrace the grief, which we would all prefer to deny. Got to remember, this is a sermon that Jeremiah gave. He stands at the temple gates as people are coming and going in and out of the temple, proclaiming this is the temple of the Lord. And he invites them to see the world differently. It's a sermon that invites us to see the world poetically and prophetically to question our assumptions. See, there's a voice. There's a voice of the people saying, peace, peace, and this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And yet there's another voice, a voice that is neither left nor right, Republican nor Democrat. It is not a voice of our past or our own inner voice. There's another voice, a holy voice, that asks us hard questions about life, and blushing, selling out for gain, and immigration, and the poor. It is as harsh as it is honest. And if we were to take seriously peace, we will have to listen to this voice. As it happened, the voice speaking through Jeremiah was true. The end did come. In 587 BCE, some 40 years after this sermon, Judah was assaulted. The city Jerusalem was ended. The temple was burned. The walls were torn down. The people were carried off into exile. And the people, their faith ebbed and their gods seemed weak and distant. But this is the heart of the gospel. 
that God who seems so weak and distant in defeat is in fact God who governs and reigns. It is those who know death most painfully that can speak hope most vigorously. It is those who know death most painfully that can speak hope most vigorously. See, Jesus the weak and distant, crucified God, set an example. We must die for the new to come. And grief. Grief is the beginning of understanding the gospel. We grieve our sins and the lies that we've believed. And we receive a criticism that this world is not as it should be. My life is not as it should be. That's the beginning of understanding the gospel. It's grief. And when we grieve, we enter this criticism of the dominant narratives and we join the heart of God and the gospel. And the gospel is subversive. It undermines all the lies that would numb us to the hurting people around us. And we must grieve deeply the lies that we've believed. And so we must start speaking seriously to each other about the rule of God over the lies in our lives. We must speak truthfully about God's subversive nature to destroy the lies that we believe. See, it was the worst Friday before it was Good Friday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proclamation of the victory of God who seemed so weak and distant. And to speak aloud, our God reigns, is to deny that the lie controls me. The rulers of this age are taken less seriously when we know and live in the truth that Jesus is alive, our God reigns. And the proclamation that our God reigns is the countercultural beginning of a new narrative. It is a new way of life offered to all who are under the thumb of an oppressive system and systemic lies. And we enter into the proclamation that our God reigns, not first as individuals, for none of us are ever strong enough to enter it ourselves. We enter first at the call of God into a community of believers. We lend our voice to the proclamation that our God reigns in worship. See, songs are the modern-day currency of lament. Songs are the modern-day currency of lament. Songs speak for us, and they shape us. As we enter into criticism and grief, songs are the stories that we tell and live out. So I'd encourage you, wherever you are, find a community that sings the song, Our God Reigns, that sings the doxology. Be shaped by it. Allow yourself to both shape and be shaped by the community that proclaims, Our God Reigns pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you help us to find such a place where the proclamation of your sovereignty is first and foremost on the lips of your people? Would you help me to be a person who proclaims your sovereignty over all the lies that I've believed, all the idols that I've built and trusted in? Lord, would you help me to recognize those and to proclaim your sovereignty over them? I ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.